Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate, the dirt, the deals, the people, the places. It's all here. I'm Nancy Sarnoff, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle. And before we get started and announce today's special guest, I wanted to make a plea to our listeners to head over to Apple Podcasts and give Looped In a rating. Five stars is preferable, but we really will take anything. It helps us grow. So we'd be grateful if you would take a minute to do that. All right. Today I am joined by Alan West, the Chronicle's Gray Matters editor. And I usually say this at the end, but if you have any ideas for an episode of Looped In or you just want to say hi to us, please reach out. We are on Twitter and Facebook at Sarnoff and at Alan West. Hi, Alan. Hey, Nancy. How are you doing? You know, I'm doing well. I had to think about it. <laughs> I thought you were going to say more, but... No, that's not really my nature. Okay. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um, well, I have something a little bit exciting to oh. to share with you. This is our 75th episode of Looped In. 75. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a milestone. Yeah, isn't it? What is that? Platinum? Something. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I, I mean, who gets to... Has well, anyone been yeah. married 75 years? I guess it's not just marriage. It's, yeah. you know, yeah. other other types of anniversaries. Um, well, Alan, I know you have only been recording Looped In with me for a few months, but I do want to put you on the spot. Oh, please. And um, ask what your favorite episode has been. Well, Joga, uh, my favorite episode. Is this a lightning round type question? Yeah. Or do I get to think about it? No. You, if you th- if you think about it, you have to talk while you're thinking. Okay, favorite episode that we've done was the. I thought the loopies was a lot of fun. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was definitely. Can't wait to do that, do that again next year. Yeah, this year. Well, hey, listeners, we'd love to hear your favorite looped in episode. So tweet us your favorite episode, yeah. or maybe I'll set up a poll on Twitter. <laughs> that worked well last time. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we'll put our top favorites on there. And I don't know if you respond, maybe you'll get a prize. Yeah. Prize. Right. Yeah. Prize. It can be on looped in. Yeah. You yeah. can come on looped in. Right. Some sort of guest segment. <gasps> yes. One free lightning round visit. Right. Yeah. That's a really good idea. That'd be a great prize. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. We will. Um, Okay, back to the show. Today, our guest is a woman who I have written about a few times. The last time I wrote about her, she was putting together something called a pocket neighborhood, which according to pocket-neighborhood.net is a group of neighboring houses or apartments clustered around a shared open space, like a courtyard or a pedestrian alleyway that everyone shares and takes care of. Ideally, community like this would have a bunch of different types of people living there, couples, singles, people with kids, empty nesters. Um, The idea is that everyone sort of gets to know each other and develops a kind of a familial sort of relationship where they help each other out or just spend time together and and genuinely like each other. So... Things go well. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so our our guest, Heidi Eagleton, has developed a plan for one of these pocket neighborhoods in Houston. Heidi Eagleton, welcome to Looped In. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Heidi, tell us about Annie's Place. Oh, Annie's Place started years ago when I was first in Washington on Wigby Island. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was visiting Ross Chapin's first pocket neighborhood there. And he's the founder he, of... Well, yeah. The, I mean, there are pocket neighborhoods like in Europe. And I mean, it, the prototype has been around for a long time. But okay. he was really the first one who developed it as a concept here in the States hmm. um, a number of years ago. So I fell in love with the whole idea. And um, this is when I was first practicing. And when I moved to Houston, I still had that idea. And 
I kept looking around for land. I, I formed a development and construction company uh, to go along with the architecture. And I was looking for land that I could afford so that I could build a pocket neighborhood. And the idea for the pocket neighborhood is there's no less than five, no more than 15 houses. And the shared space is a space that you don't build on and you keep cars and you keep people separate. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole list of uh, criteria. So I had been in Acres Homes and they had great land and I fell in love with Acres Homes. So a number of years ago, I bought two acres there thinking I could do the pocket neighborhood in Acres Homes. And that started it. And then the second thing that happened was I had a lot in the Heights um, next to Annie Frank. And Annie Frank had a bungalow, and I wanted to buy her bungalow. She made me promise that I'd never tear it down. She (laughs) died when she was 97. And so I kept my promise to her. And one night we moved the bungalow, Cherry Movers, to the two acres that we had bought in Acres Homes and restored Annie's house. And so affectionately, the pocket neighborhood was going to be called Annie's Place. The house was going to live in perpetuity, and it was going to be the community house for the pocket neighborhood. That's where it started. It later on was going to be the community house for the the neighborhood, the surrounding neighborhood as well. So, um, So there was a promise, and there was a dream, and that's where it all started. (laughs) <laughs> Isn't that a great story? That's a great story. That's a great story. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay, so where does the story go from there, though? You're shrugging and... <laughs> well, um, it was a real challenge. It still is a real challenge. And um, at this point in my career, I, I, I almost feel like I'm starting over. Mm-hmm. Um, the initial challenge was financing. And um, I had this idea, and everyone loved the idea, the problem was uh, there were banks that just didn't even want to consider it hmm. um, because it's an underserved area. Acres Homes, is, you know, when we started, um, has a great African-American history. It has a cowboy culture. It has an agricultural heritage and all kinds of gifts, and it's a wonderful, wonderful place. But because it's been underserved so long and banks are conservative, typically by nature, no one really wanted to take the risk involved with financing Annie's place. Mm. And so you're talking about financing the development of the two acres. So not even the houses just yet. Well, what we were going to do is develop the two acres in terms of the infrastructure and then phase in doing three houses at a time. Okay. The infrastructure costs are amazing. I mean, they're really, really, really high because you've got drainage issues, permeability issues. You've got to bring in all your utilities and you've got, you know, your streets, your private street, and then you've got... The way our lot was configured, you have turnarounds for fire trucks. I mean, mm-hmm. it goes on and on and on. So hmm. our infrastructure costs, when we, you know, had our civil engineers help us with the site plan, were over a million dollars. And this was a couple of years ago. The other problem, and it's a problem in every underserved neighborhood, is appraisers. Because you have appraisals when you're getting your financing, and you also have appraiser appraisals on the other end. That's for the buyer. Mm-hmm. So if you're a pioneer, and I've been called that by many in the na- in a na- new neighborhood, um, it's very hard to get comps. Mm-hmm. And so everything is based on comparables, right. which are based on condition square footage. And there's an equalization that really isn't there because I don't believe everything is equal. And in, in terms of Annie's place, because... Almost an acre of Annie's place was going to be commons ground, and Annie's house was going to be the community house, which had costs involved with it for moving and also bringing it to code. Before I even started a foundation for a house, I was facing a lot of costs, and I wasn't getting that back, or I wouldn't be getting that back through appraisals or pricing. And so it it made each house be at a price point, 400000 we talked about, which was really oh. unsustainable in that neighborhood at that point in time. So um, 
I wasn't willing to give up entirely, and I talked to some more banks, and the idea came up about community development block grants. If I could somehow get Annie's place into the community development arena, then my financing issues may have been solvable. Before we get into that, I just want to ask, how many banks did you go to? (laughs) Initially, I had been working with certain banks, and I went to them, Mm -hmm. and then I I went to another bank. With the affordable houses now, I've I've been to a number of banks. Um, What I have found is typically local banks, smaller local banks, have been the best course for me. Um, They tend to be more aggressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, They know the community really well. Mm. Um, So it makes a big difference. So Mm -hmm. as far as the front end, I deal completely locally. On the other end, on the buyer's end, they could be from anywhere, um, Mm -hmm. Detroit, anywhere. And then you run into a whole different set of issues with their financing. So, Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say four or five banks. Okay. And so... Community block grants. Well, what that is, is um, at any bank that has federal FDIC or, you know, somehow involved in federal government has a certain amount of money under the Community blo- Development Block Grant Program that they use for underserved neighborhoods or whatever, and they make loans so that the neighborhoods can be revitalized. So the idea was if I could do some affordable housing at the same time I'm doing some of the housing for Annie's place, it would possibly fall under that umbrella so I could find financing for Annie's place Mm -hmm. and also serve the community by doing affordable housing. Um, So once I knew I couldn't just finance Annie's place without finding another creative solution, I started looking toward affordable housing, and that got me into the LARA program, which is <laughs> the Land Assemblage Redevelopment Authority with the city of Houston. Gulp. <laughs> <laughs> Affectionately known as LARA, which LARA. is much easier to remember. So right. the LARA program. So there's a ton of acronyms and bodies <laughs> and institutions that you have to navigate, but you also put affordable housing in sort of air scare quotes. I did. Why did you do that? Well, this we could talk about what is affordable yeah. for, for the next two weeks. Right. I mean, and what's affordable to some isn't affordable to others. And, you know, um, I've been d- talking a lot about that um, through a, an organization. We started a nonprofit called Highland Heights Annex Action Committee, or HACC. We uh, are working with the mayor's complete communities, we're on the task force, and we're always talking about what is affordable. And um, for the purposes of Laura, and that's what I'd like to stick to, because if we go off into (laughs) the whole affordability thing, we're going to be here and never get to the point. But for the purposes Hmm. of Laura, affordable means $212,000, and that is governed by the federal government. So in other words, as a builder... Okay, my houses cannot be sold for more than $212,000 tops, Mm -hmm. okay? So um, you can, there's, under LARA, there's down payment assistance programs. For the buyer, they have to qualify. There's a fairly difficult formula with respect to how much you earn and how big your family is, but there is down payment assistance. Then you can also... Um, as a builder, sell conventional FHA, VA, cash, um, and uh, yeah, really, <laughs> if only, if only, right? And uh, but the caveat is no more than two twelve, so that's your cap, which is about half of of this initial cost that you were looking at. Yes. So how do you make that work? It's very difficult. Yeah. It's it's a big challenge, and. Um, you know, if I can step back for a moment, the first challenge is becoming a Laura builder. And they're very uh, careful about who becomes a Laura builder and who doesn't. On their website, you can see all the requirements. Mm-hmm. One of the the largest requirements is that you have to have built at least 10 houses in Houston. Mm. And then after that, if you you pick your Laura lots and what you want to build on, you have to 
give them plant sections, elevations. This is all pre-approval, right? And then you do your specifications, and they have a list of specifications. The, the houses have to be HERS certified, which is the Energy Star, mm-hmm. energy efficient type of program. And you also have to give all your cost breakdowns and you know what you're spending on like site prep, what you're spending on construction costs, et cetera, et cetera. Then it goes before the LARA board and you are selected or whatever. They ask for more information, your, you know, your corporate tax returns and stuff like that. So once you're accepted, which takes some time, um, then you can start um, construction. Wow. And, and you start with your lot. <laughs> and so... Are you getting, so you're getting a grant from the... It's it's not a grant. What happens is you buy the lot from the city of Houston. If you go on HCAD, mm-hmm. you will see Laura lots, which are available. That to, the city owns. That the city owns. The city buys them from Harris Co- uh, County or gets them from Harris County. They have encumbrances, mostly tax liens. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they buy them. They clear title. And then you buy them under one or there are two programs, the dollar lot program or a different program. And then you enter into a contract with the city, which has requirements for you in terms of your building and how you can build on the Laura lot. The interesting thing about it, and I was very naive going into this, (laughs) I have to say, I've learned a lot. There's a big learning curve. You know, they say you don't, you never stop learning. Well, you don't. Um, And you get, you pick out these lots and I chose Acres Homes. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I love it. And I wanted to continue my work there. And... um, my associate, Gary Fondell, and I, we drove up and down all the streets, and we, we picked out lots that we thought would work for us. They're underserved, too. These lots have been neglected for years. Typically, they're heavily wooded. Mm-hmm. Um, there's often a lot of trash um, because, unfortunately, Acres Homes is a dumping ground mm-hmm. for people and you know who want to get rid of their tires. Or, and after Harvey, it was even worse. Um, because you were picking up a lot of debris from Harvey, you know, problems. Yeah, and, and uh, people's houses. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you, you can drive up and down the streets and see couches and tires and, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's something the mayor is really trying to address because, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's ugly and it's unfair, you know, and the people have a lot of pride there. And if you have trash all over your culvert, it's a problem. So you have that to deal with. And... The other thing that we found is that in site prep, because these lots, once you clear them, and there are a lot of old trees and stuff, then it used to be where you could drain to the back of a lot. Well, you can't anymore. you got to drain to the front. And also, you have to be a minimum, this is before the flood um, issues, of 12 inches above the crown of the street. Mm. So that means most of your lots are going to require a lot of fill, and mm-hmm. you're going to have to change the, dra- the drainage patterns. So one of the surprises for us is I didn't expect infrastructure costs or not much on the affordable houses like I did on Annie's place. But you do have them, and it's a lot by lot. And the other thing you can add into that is your sewer taps, your water taps, all of that kind of stuff because it's not there. And many of these older lots had wells anyway. So mm-hmm. then you tie them into the street, and the street has old infrastructure, and then you start yeah. talking with the city about what do you do about that. So the biggest surprise for me on our first lot was even though I got it for a dollar, I had $30,000 worth of clearing and infrastructure costs. So before I even put in a foundation, there I am, and I'm capped at two twelve. And what would a lot cost there just if someone were to go and find one? If it were a great one? lot and all, well, it probably would cost, well, I don't know, because they've gone up. Uh-huh. They certainly have gone up. When we hmm. bought our lot on, on Mansfield, you know, um, it's 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 gone up twice mm-hmm. at least as more and more, you know, interest mm-hmm. from builders and whatever. But, you know, some of the lots, although, you know, you could probably get one for $30,000. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's hard to say yeah. because I check MLS all the time and uh, you always see them going up and up. And right. Up. So let's put it this way. It's probably a wash. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So you've already your $30,000 in. Yes. 
And you have to build a house yes. and sell it for no more than $212,000. And okay. I have to get it to a price. And what what we're doing is we're trying is the same thing that we always have done, and we certainly were going to do it in Annie's place, is to build, to design and build our houses regionally and specific to the climate and culture of place. Mm -hmm. And we start this from the ground up. So what we typically do before we even start thinking about building is we say, how would we build this if we didn't have HVAC or if we didn't have electricity? And that's where we start. And in Houston, we look at the dog trot house and we look at the shotgun house. We don't copy it, but we learn from it and we do a modern version of that for the climate. So that for us means cross ventilation, screen porches, operable windows, uh, few if any, we, no hallways, mm. you know, two-story circulating space. And we put it in the context of place mm -hmm. and, and the culture of the place. And that's what we're trying to do with our affordable houses. The other thing that's really important to me is, you know, you can get a stereotypical house any way you want. And in the affordable arena, you can too. And I want everybody to be able to, to have these different ideas and, and be able to open their windows or sit out on their screen porch here in Houston. So we are determined <laughs> to bring our architectural ideas to every price point that we work in. Mm. So... If you want to get into the appraisal issues, we can, because what happens with all those things I mentioned, they're not something that appraisers typically care about. And even the HERS certification, which causes you to have to use or should use the green addendum, which is an appraisal form that gives you credit for LEED, HERS, or whatever, Energy Star, um, you have to deal with comps in the area. And if there aren't other energy certified houses in the area, one appraiser said to me, well, you know, there aren't other comps, but you're an apple and I have to get an orange that's the closest to your apple. <laughs> well, okay, really? <laughs> you know, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, the, the other appraiser, because we're not getting credit for the screen porches, which are just as expensive as a room, you know, you have to pay tax on it because they do perimeter, but mm -hmm. you don't get credit for that. You don't get credit for. You mean the appraiser doesn't include it in the value? No, no, of the because house. it's condition square footage. Okay. So mm -hmm. the more condition square footage you have, the lower your per square foot cost, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. So you can have unusable condition space or excess condition space, but it'll still be in the calculus. Hmm. So, and then another appraiser said to me once, uh, appraising our, these houses actually, said, well, you're a pioneer. What you need is an all-cash buyer or someone who can put a lot down. Well, these are affordable houses, you know, right. a cash buyer or someone who can put a lot down. Many of <laughs> the people who are buying them, they're, except for one who's an empty nester who's moving in from Denver, the people that are interested in our houses are millennials. Mm -hmm. They're first-time buyers. They like the concept. They're interested in the environment, in energy savings, in, you know, having a house that has something to do with the climate and culture of place. Mm -hmm. these, this, these are kids, young people mm -hmm. that are, you know, looking forward. And um, many of them come in under FHA. Mm -hmm. So if they're going to come in and let's say they, they're going to pay 3% down. Right. Yeah, that's and they have the salaries to get you know the FHA. So you take a two hundred thousand dollar house. My math is terrible, but I'll give it a shot. <laughs> and you're putting down three percent. That's six thousand, give or take. Right. So you mm -hmm. take that away from two hundred, and mm -hmm. what do you end up with? One ninety four. Right. Right. And our square footage is minimal. It's like fourteen hundred. So okay. you divide it, and you come up with I don't know one one forty eight or something mm -hmm. like that. And you're competing with other houses you know, that may or may not be HERS certified or in the area at 118. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, <laughs> it's challenging. Right. So it's not going to appraise, and therefore, a, if it a doesn't, is not going to give these correct people a loan, and correct the house correct. is going to sit there. And by the same token, on the front end, when I go to get bank financing, I go through the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I had I have to put in a lot of my own money, and I don't use investors. So what happened on the first house is it was appraised. Uh, and it's a year ago, too. It's not, and after Harvey, all the costs have gone up. So mm-hmm. your labor and materials costs have gone up. But you're appraised back in, let's say, March, um, which is difficult under any circumstance. But when you've got Harvey or some catastrophe like that that's going to cause, you know, the market to change, it's it's even harder. So they gave me um, an appraisal, which was way below our sales price, matter of fact, it only covered our construction costs. And so 80-20, most banks do 80-20, some do 90-10. So that meant that I had to put down 20% and they were only going to loan 80. So, you you know, again, do the math. So that's right. a lot of, um, of down payment that the builder, you know, has to put up front. And like I said, I don't use investors. I don't ever plan to. So... What we typically do is we, any profit we make on a past project, we bring into the next. Next one. Mm-hmm. That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, so I didn't mean to make it sound terrible. I well, mean, it's... Um, they, they don't make it easy, and they ugh. they don't even make it... Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would think after hearing the story, who... Who is going to want to try and do this? And I have all these questions about neighborhoods and is it easier to do this in other neighborhoods? Um, But If you're the first in, Mm -hmm. it's always hard. I mean, even when we weren't doing um, affordable houses, when we were going into neighborhoods, we had to go into neighborhoods where – well, we started in we started on Nadine Street off of Airline in 2004. People thought we were nuts, but I could only afford that ground, that dirt. Right. And within a year, it doubled in price. And the reason it was difficult is because when you build for climate and culture of place, or if you're building regionally, typically your costs are higher hmm. than a conventional building. Um, because you have to cite it a certain, you know, you just have you just have a lot of different considerations. So once it gets above our price point, then we go find some other area, another area, another area, another area. I like doing affordable housing. I really do. I think there's a tremendous need for it, and uh, especially, you know, for young millennials and and and. Empty nesters who, you know, right. have limited funds. Sure. A, a lot of these, ha- I mean, 212000 sounds like a lot of money, mm-hmm. and it is, mm-hmm. you know. And um, many people, you know, really can't even qualify for that. There has, to be a, there has to be some give and take somehow. And I think the the Laura program is trying. I really do. I think the mayor is really trying to, you know— put it back on its feet and, you know, and through his complete communities, I think that's that's also positive. Okay. So even though you have to jump through all these hoops and you have to do so much on the front end, like yeah. you described earlier, before even being approved yeah. as a Lara Builder, yeah. you believe in this project. I do. I, I, I do. Um, I believe that everyone who has a home should have the same opportunities whether it's, you know, a million dollars or $212,000 with respect to, you know, living and feeling comfortable and being environmentally um, friendly, all the different things that go into it. And it it gives it a sense of community, Mm -hmm. you know, as well. Yeah. It just, it sounds like... It's daunting. Yeah. And it sounds like there's a good chance you lose money on these these houses. Hope not. <laughs> well, that brings you to another. Yes, mm-hmm. um, the the way that I have written my business plan is to do ten. Mm-hmm. Because if I can do ten, even though my margins are tight, my hope is that I can realize enough to make it sustainable as a business. Mm-hmm. 
by doing two, you know, seven hundred or eight hundred thousand dollar lofts. Mm-hmm. You you understand what I'm saying? In other words, you know, on a higher priced house mm-hmm. where you're in an established neighborhood like the Heights or now Spring Branch or whatever, you can go in there and your margins are better. Plus, you have you don't have a cap, and you know right. if you have an overrun here, you can somehow realize it. So you get your margins are bigger. Whereas if you're doing an affordable house, on each house your margin is smaller. Mm-hmm. So the way to have it all equal out is to do volume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though we're not production builders and don't intend to ever be. Um, so that brings up another issue, which is timing. You It has to move well and quickly. You can't be hung up on permitting for three months. Or you can't, you know, have a, um, a problem with... Uh, a subcontractor in delivery. I mean, it, it has to be, it has to run very smoothly to be able to turn it around in a, a goodly amount of time so it's not sitting there forever. Because then people lose interest. And- not only that, you you lose money because mm-hmm. you, ha- you, you know, you're, you're trying to do a certain number okay. of houses right. within a, a limited time period. So... I'm depressed. Don't be depressed. <laughs> I'm inviting you all to come out and see what we're doing. I know. So okay. So how many? Uh, you're nearing completion on your first. We did, homes? and we closed on one. We're closing on another next week. Oh, great! We started with two. Okay, and then we're doing two more. Okay, and both of those, all four of those, are on six thousand square foot lots. Oh, that's a good size. And we decided to do that. (laughs) You're looking at me strangely, I know. (laughs) But I was really committed to these two prototypes. Okay. Not the wisest business decision. (laughs) um, And then we're doing six on 3,000 square foot lots. They will have the same feel. As mm-hmm. as the you know six thousand square foot lot houses, one big difference between the three thousand and the six thousand, obviously the amount of landscape that you have or, mm-hmm. or yard, but the six thousand um, six thousand square foot lots are all one story. The uh, three thousand square foot lot houses are going to be one story, but they're going to have a spiral staircase up to a loft. Okay. So loft is not a sleeping loft because there's no egress, but you can use it yeah. for an office or so. It'll have more, the same amount of square footage, just less yard. <laughs> and so these are in Acres Homes on Cone. Cone Street. Yeah, right C-O-H-N. Now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and um, and so you, you own now? We now have um, a, t- well, we just... We own nine. Okay. <laughs> we um yeah we okay. we own nine lots and um you know we're we're moving forward. Yeah. So the plan is so far so good. Knock so on far wood, so good. Right? Knock on wood. And we've had a lot of interest, and so we've been lucky enough to go under contract with everything that we have available right now, um, pre finish. So how are you marketing the the properties? MLS. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people drive by, you know. Mm-hmm. Up till now, most of our stuff was word of mouth and MLS, but, um, you know, you get sort of a following. And Yeah. So are the lots next to each other? Or? Some are, some aren't. These okay. first two, um, they're adjacent. Okay. And uh, it's interesting because originally they were both going to be sit on the lot exactly the same way, and um, but <laughs> we have very conservative and strict engineers. And so on this first lot, um, we had this gargantuan tree. It was four feet in diameter, and it was a trash tree, and it was falling apart. Mm -hmm. So we had to take it down, and we also had to take it out, and then we have to bring in fill and stuff like that. And our engineer said, under no circumstances can you have your foundation anywhere near where this tree was. So we recited it, and we moved the house back. Mm. And so now the houses are sited differently, and one has a very big front yard, the other has a very big side yard. So it really worked out well. So I think what you really have to do is you have to look at how I can turn this lemon into lemonade. <laughs> I, I mean, I really, you know, I think my architectural background really helps there mm-hmm. because, 
you know, architects always loved really bad sites because that's how they got creative, you know. Right, so it sort of forces the mind to it forces come the up mind. with yeah. alternatives. Yeah. yeah, because you're problem solving. Yeah. So why do you love Acres Homes so much? First of all, I love the people. Hack, I, I met a lot of people through our work there. And um, the neighborhood, it's very tight. Mm-hmm. And they... they it, it, they care about one another. It's mm-hmm. really interesting to me because, you know, they've been self-sufficient and it had to be for so many years. And also the, the the history, they're very proud of the history. The cowboy culture for me is a big thing. Um, I was showing the house the other day and a couple of kids came riding down the street on their horses. Yeah. You know, you're so close to downtown um, and the agriculture and the farm to table. I mean, that's pretty much how it started back in the day. Yeah. And um, to be so close to downtown Houston and to feel like you're out in the country somewhere is really a gift and and really terrific. And I my hope is that as it develops, and gentrification's a really bad word, but um, it needs infrastructure. And it in my mind, it needs a mix of housing um, opportunities, you know, affordable housing, middle-income housing, high-end housing, because you need a tax base there. But to lose its gifts, you know, would be a real tragedy, not only for them, but for, um, for the city. Yeah. And my big hope, too, is that a lot of the young people, millennials who grew up in Acres Homes, will come back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's still to be seen. But um, I think it can work. I just think it's a, a big challenge and it takes a, a lot on the part of everyone. Right. And I don't know if there's that kind of commitment from well, everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully since the mayor identified it as yeah. one of these neighborhoods he wants to target to prevent really the, you know, the, the negative side of gentrification yeah. from happening, um, that will that will help guide its growth. Although now so much of our concern on a, you know, civic basis is about flooding. And um, a lot of those things, a lot of the things that we were thinking about before are probably going to fall to the side a little bit. It's going to, I think it's going to be difficult. I think from a builder point of view, one of the hardest things um, with respect to the flooding, and I, you know, I'm just going to pose the question: Should you build in floodplain anyway? Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's a whole conversation. Um, you know, we have wetlands here; they're here for a reason. You know, right. they keep our water clean. I mean, to just well, I'm getting into my own you know polemic here, but just to <laughs> pave over to me is 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 not the way to go. But just assuming that you do build on floodplain or whether it's 500 or 100, and if even a little, you know, part of your lot is in floodplain, mm-hmm. you're subject to floodplain rules. When you talk about the costs associated with building a house on pier and beam as opposed to post-tension slab, let's, let's even go there, mm-hmm. um, the, it's like two, three times what a post-tension slab is going to be. So, again, you get back into the cost of the house. So you're going to have to build smaller probably um, because of the price points. And then you get back into the appraisals, okay? Mm -hmm. You're not going to get appraised, you know, for unconditioned space. You'll get something for a post-tension, but not what the whole cost is. So it's hard. You're right. There's a lot of considerations, but I also believe that um, Houston does have to address the flooding Mm -hmm. issues, obviously, um, and uh, it's a it's a big and money is always an issue, right? And so Acres Homes did all right during Harvey. There are or- parts of Acres Homes that didn't. There are parts of Acres Homes, like every other neighborhood in the city, that are in floodplain. Right. Um, a lot, of, a number of Laura lots are in floodplain, and I've had a lot of, hmm. you know, or part of them is, and I've had a lot of conversations with other Laura builders, like, what are you going to do because that. It's a concern. There's, there's got to be solutions, mm-hmm. but it's a concern. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy. No. I said it was a challenge. <laughs> it's not, yeah. And so circling back to Annie's place, what is, 
What's what's it looking like over there in in the house, Annie's house? Annie's house is, it is still, still there. It's still there. Um, I have a young woman who's renting from me and caring for it and mm-hmm. loving it with mm-hmm. her dogs. It still looks great. Good. Um, Annie's place for us right now is on hold. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a lot of development going on in the area. We'll see. Uh, I don't. I don't honestly. At this point, I don't know. I don't know whether I can, you know, realize that particular dream. Um, I'm just not sure the numbers are going to be there hmm. because of the way everything is is set up. When you when you don't build on every piece of land, and in fairness, uh, Ross Chapin, Ross Chapin, when he started, it was in Langley, a small little town in Washington, and he was on the council, and so they <laughs> wrote the ordinances which allowed this kind of, you know, building um, and this kind of siting. And so, it, you know, you can do it and and adapt it to other places, but it's it's more difficult than I thought it was ever going to be. Right. Um, And... Well, so many people nowadays are talking more about co-housing and living in close proximity to people. And um, I hear... Friends talk about it all yeah. the time that it how you know how great would it be it would to be. be able to kind of retire with a lot of people you know and or like minded people. Yep. Can you get a group of ten people to commit to you that they will? <laughs> well, that was tried. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's still difficult yeah. because you know it's if you got a group of ten very wealthy people. <laughs> Someone's- yeah, you could do it. <laughs> you know, probably because they're all cash buyers, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, right. But- it it comes down. It it really does come down. Unfortunately, to I think money and mm-hmm. appraising, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not telling you I don't think anything. You don't really yeah. know. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's. I think talking about it is one thing, and then when it comes down to it, yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's a great idea, and there's so many people that want it, right? Um, you know, I mean, I could, I could do it over and over and over again if I could make the numbers work um, for everybody, right? And uh, you know, it's interesting when I'm learning with our affordable housing and and what I can do with those kinds of constraints. I mean, we're we're very wasteful. Um, I think, <laughs> in general. I mean, you know, we we have a philosophy at Odd Group that we don't build over three thousand square feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing when you design something that's fourteen hundred square feet, what you can do with that. Right, if you are smart about the design, yeah, and and and, no. and also the materials. Like we're using a solid surfacing material. It's not Corian, but it's like Corian, and it's all recyclable. Mm-hmm. You know, and Corian, if you talk about it, you know, sort of has a bad name. I mean, mm-hmm. it's coming back, but at certain price points, you know, if you put a Corian counter in the house, they'd say what? You know, so I mean, there's a lot you can do if you're willing to to change your priorities yeah. a little bit. I love Corian. I have Corian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Does that disqualify your home from being considered luxury? <laughs> yeah, that and the mm. size of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, Houston likes big. Houston big likes everything. big. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Big and far. And it's a, it's a different mindset. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. This has been really interesting. I think people will learn a lot from it. Um Go ahead. No, I was going to say a lot of people drive up, particularly from the neighborhood, and they love the house, and mm-hmm. they'll say, yeah, it's really handsome. oh, how much is it? Mm-hmm. And I'll say, these were, when we priced them, one eighty nine nine, and they'll go, oh, my God, that's so expensive. Yeah. That's what I was talking about with the, you know, affordable. Right. Like what's affordable. What's it mean to whom? And what's it mean? And yeah. then you have Habitat, you know, who are doing housing, you know, and it's much less Mm-hmm. Money, but they also are a nonprofit, and they have you know um, right. volunteer labor, and mm-hmm. they and they get materials at a, at a lower cost. And so I don't know what the answer is really. Yeah. But I do think that at for yeah, first time buyers, 
the millennial, you know, populations that particularly, but others, you know, that a, that a, a, a house in that price range is really an important thing to have. And Houston, I mean, I've been here 22 years. And in the 22 years, I've seen the prices in Houston just go up and up and up mm-hmm. and up. And everybody wants to live close in and have a walkable neighborhood, which is great. But how do you do that and keep the cost so that, you know, it's not just enjoyed by, you know, upper income folks? Yeah, right. very wealthy. Right. Yeah. And that's a, that's a dilemma in every city, I think. Yeah. Well, I commend you on your commitment to this, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm glad to hear that things are working out in this other direction that you're going in, and hopefully that will they continue. Are. They are. And, you know, because we're on one street, I've told all the buyers, you know, that they could start their own little coffee shop and mm-hmm. have, a, you know, a garden, a community garden. I, I know there are some. Uh, in Acres Homes, Burns Barbecue, there's a, a church that's done a community garden. Mm-hmm. So hmm. it's it's up to the people moving at, into these blocks to sort of, you know, make it. Alan, you don't own a house I here yet. Nope. I don't. Oh, Alan. <laughs> I also don't own a car, so Acres <laughs> Homes would be a little hard for me. Well, there are buses. Yeah, the, four, the, the 44. I'm well acquainted with the Houston's buses. They're great. Their buses are great. Yeah, and, you know, that's another issue. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Houston is not—I grew up in the Northeast, you know, which was very compact, mm-hmm. and it was easy. You know, public transportation was easy, but mm-hmm. Houston's all over the place. It would be nice to have— it. Houston's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, don't be the new me city on slogan. that. New, new city slogan. Yeah. The city without limits, Houston. It's all over, it's all over the place. But just think if it was all connected— <laughs> By, you know, it's got networks. Little nodes, Little nodes of activity. Yes, yeah. where you could connect it all up yeah. with public transportation. Yeah. and uh, We can dream. Yes. 70 years from now. Right. It'll be different. <laughs> well, like I said, it started for me with a, a promise and a dream. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, it's time for a lightning round. Sorry, I didn't warn you about this. But no, you did. Uh oh. This is I think, where I think we, I've um, heard it before. <laughs> yeah, we ask our guests a Uh-oh. series of really silly questions, I'm in trouble. and we we like for you to answer them lightning fast. Lightning fast. I'll try. All right, Alan, would you like to start? I'd be happy to start. Okay. Who's your favorite architect? Alvaro Alto. Mm. Such an Alan question. <laughs> what is your favorite building in Houston? Hmm. The oh god, you've really got me. It's now. a hard lightning question. It is a hard I, li- I lightning question. I'm going to say it's um, the Dimoniel Museum. Mm. Okay, heard that a few times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Classic. come on, for come a reason. On. Well, look, but look yeah. at it. I mean, right? no, no, knowing where, where I'm yeah. coming from for yeah. good reason. Yeah. What, uh, favorite restaurant. Favorite restaurant. God, there's so many. Um, Hmm. This is becoming the favorite building question because there's such a wealth of places to eat here. Okay, I ask favorite place to get breakfast. Okay. Oh, That narrows it down a bit. Yeah, that does narrow it down. Well, it's right around the corner for me, so I go to Craftsman. Okay. Favorite place to get a cocktail? (sighs) My house. (laughs) 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 On my screen porch. Great, I'll I'll be there tonight. (laughs) Coffee or tea? Coffee. Will the Astros repeat? I hope so. <laughs> Favorite U.S. city? Seattle. Mm. Favorite public space in Houston? I'm going to go back to the Dominion. Yeah. I, I also, oh. but I also like um, downtown as well. So, um, yeah, I'll say that too. Favorite book when you were a child? Wow. Mm, this is going to be really weird. The Lonely Doll. I don't know that. <laughs> Why is that weird? Oh, well, I just, I was reading about it the other day, just happened to, and someone huh. thinks, that, uh, a few people think that it's really wicked and dark, mm. dark and horrible. <laughs> Have you ever read it? No, mm. but I'm going to put it on my list. Well, right this now. is when I was eight, so you asked when I was a child, right? Yeah. My daughter's seven. There you go. Yeah, The Lonely Doll. The Lonely Doll. It does sound dark. Mine was Matilda. 
Oh, I like that one too. Yeah, yeah I like that one too. <laughs> so I really wanted secret powers. I really wanted those powers. <laughs> Didn't happen. Mine is um, a real estate story. <laughs> oh, come on. It is. It is. It's called, um, oh my gosh. Um, it's about the house on the hill with the, you know, beautiful field surrounding it. And the fence. And then development starts creeping oh, closer. Like up. <laughs> Just like up. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. And then ultimately it's the last yeah. holdout. Yeah. And someone and the descendants of the original owner of the house cool. move it out to with, with an to Annie's place. Exactly. <laughs> it's like an Annie's place yeah. story. Yeah. Well, I told you it all started with me with my grandmother living in an Italian ghetto in my grandmother's house when hmm. I was a little girl. You have real bona fides then yeah, you for do. your career. I kind of do. I know. It's actually called The Little House by Virginia Lee Burton. That's very cute. I won a Caldecott. <laughs> I also like the giving tree. Giving tree. Oh, that's, yeah. that's dark. That yeah. is dark in but, such a beautiful way. It, yeah. But I did start um, when I was about 11 and growing up in Hartford, Connecticut, outside of Hartford, the Hartford Current. Mm-hmm. They had a real estate section. Mm-hmm. And they would have floor plans in the real estate section. And I would grab that paper and lay down on the living room floor with my pencil, and I'd redesign the houses. Whoa. And I never, in a million years, because, hmm. you know, I started off as a lawyer. I don't know how that, you know, but it huh. all came back. That is so cool. That is, that's impressive. All right, Heidi, thank you You're so, welcome. so much for doing this. It was really really good to catch up with you and hear about what you're doing. And I, I wish you all the best. <laughs> thanks. Alan, thanks for being here. As always. And uh, listeners, thanks for listening. You can check out more about Looped In and Houston Chronicle's other podcasts at houstonchronicle.com slash podcasts. Until next time, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show by rating us or writing a review. It helps us grow. Thanks, everyone. 